on this episode of Japan 2.0. You are beautiful. You too. Thank you. Long, long hair. Long hair boys. Long hair boys. Long hair boys. I'm trying. Fashion, fashion, fashion designer. So, for all those of you at home, you're joining us for uh, what, what should we call this? A kushikatsu kushi tape? Kushikatsu tapes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We were uh, one of our all time favorite podcasts, not even shows, I'll just say even like episode, is from a defunct blog called Neo Japanism. And uh, they did like what, five or six podcasts maybe? And one of them one of them is called Donkatsu Tapes. I think they have two Donkatsu tapes, don't they? Or maybe. It might be one or two. But yeah, the Donkatsu tapes those, Harajuku, so good. Harajuku Requiem, I think Requiem for Harajuku or something, and then Donkatsu yeah, yeah, tapes. Yeah, yeah. They're, very, they're very similar. Yeah, because they're eating in like a, a bar or something, or you know, someplace that's busy. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah. But we're eating kushikatsu, and if you don't know what kushikatsu is, it's basically vegetables on skewers that are deep fried and are delicious. One of the most delicious things you could possibly buy. It's one of the biggest Osaka deep cuts, I would say. Like, mm. everyone knows Osaka, takoyaki, okonomiyaki, in my opinion. Thank you. Uh, in my opinion, kushikatsu is way better than any of those. Um, you get your vegetables, and you know, it's hard to get vegetables. Uh, I'm going to move to the edamame over here. This place that we're at right now has got the best edamame. It's right outside of uh, Juso Station in uh, Osaka. And uh, man, oh man, we found a real treasure here. I was telling Matt that um, edamame is one of the few Japanese foods that I would actually say I, I like better in the States than I do here in Japan, uh, which is probably sacrilege to a lot of people. I realize that, but it's just how I feel. And I don't know if that's the actual quality of the vegetable or that in the States there's usually more like uh, seasoning and stuff on the outside. And, it, you know, edamame is a fairly simple taste, mild taste. So I think it's very enhanced when you add some shoyu or garlic or butter. And this one, I think, is uh, shoyu butter. And it's kind of somewhat rare, I would say. Really good. Grilled on, on a grill, like a griddle. Yeah, I guess the grill part is pretty unique to this one. That is really unique. Um, yeah, this is one of the best kushikatsu places I've been to. There's a really good one in Daikokucho in Osaka as well that I really like. But, uh, you know, I have to say, this place is one of the best. And it's got avocado on the menu. That's right. And uh, so that's really hard to find. Kushikatsu is going to be, like, best in kind of rougher neighborhoods or kind of, like, cheaper neighborhoods. Mm. And, um, <laughs> yeah, if you're really a germaphobe and stuff, it might not be your favorite place because um, before COVID, you would share a communal sauce. And the big rules always don't double dip. Um, I'm so sorry, David. I ate your uh, bacon. Oh, okay. Was it good? <laughs> it was good, but it also had mochi. Ah, I, I thought I might. Yeah. Yeah. I apologize. I thought I was my mochi one. I, I won't defriend you, don't worry. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, kushikatsu, amazing stuff. The donkatsu tape is also very loud and noisy, so we know this one's going to be loud and noisy, but it's our homage to one of our favorite podcasts, doing our own version. And one of the themes I remember from that, donkatsu tapes, uh, Neo Japan as a podcast, was that they were being a little bit hard on Japan because they lived there kind of long enough. Enough, I think to have their gripes and stuff yeah. and I don't think we're going to get into that today but I will say that when I heard that podcast that I was kind of like perturbed or put off by it um, in some ways and I felt a bit like I always appreciate Japan and I will say that either their 10 years I kind of actually understand where they're coming from in some ways um, yeah so like well, I think they thought they thought there would be like you know a major decline in soft power right mm. like uh, not 
nothing would match the 80s and 90s, which was the bubble era, the bubble economy, mm. where like people were throwing around money like crazy. Yeah. But in in really what happened was the soft power really increased, and I actually if you. Last time I went back to the States, I went into a Target and all the t-shirts had like kanji and katakana on them. And I was like, I'm probably the only person in this Walmart that can, you know, or Target that can read the katakana on these shirts, you know? But um, I think they were totally like misguided because it only seems like Japanese culture is spread far and wide. You know, gachapons are popular in places, you know, video games, you know, all the Japanese video games get translated over for the most part you know it's not like the days that you know it was like 10 years ago when they did that episode yeah if it's still if it's still live we should probably like link it in the blog post oh definitely because we're referencing it so much but I would say the thing I do agree with them with though is like the quality of the culture Put some, yeah, whereas anime, fashion, art, whatever, in my opinion, from the late 90s, early 2000s, has gone downhill. So while the world has like taken on the Japanese culture more and that soft power has increased, the thing I would agree with them with is that there is less, it's hard to know because I wasn't here, but there's a perceived less exciting, less excitement kind of coming out of Japan. If you're like, I don't know, a Maker or into like the underground or, or if it's going on then I just don't know about it you know well I think there was more money pumped into the economy right so uh, you're gonna get more better anime you're gonna get better you know manga just because it's a numbers game the more money it's pumped into those arts and, and video games and th- things like that you know, the more you're going to get of it. And so the more likely you're, to, you're there to have something that's special, right? Where now I think it's very it's very rare to find that diamond in the rough, you know, that or, or uh, just a diamond, you know, that explodes and becomes, like, you know, super popular. I always think of Evangelion, you know? Yeah. Like, Evangelion is the perfect example of just the right place at the right time, you know? it it wouldn't You could never make an animation like that in the quality that it is with the budgets they have now and the the amount of that can be made now that's not to say that can't happen but it's less likely to happen if uh, if there's less production right yeah I thought about this a lot though because for me when I was younger I thought the 90s were like a great time for the economy like you're talking about but the reality is that the bubble popped in like 89 or 90 or so in Japan Mm-hmm. that a lot of the stuff that you and I refer to as like the golden age of Japanese culture actually was in a recession or like everyone was like freaking out about the economy in Japan at that time. <coughs> so the thing I've been kind of like thinking about and researching over the last 10 years since living here has kind of been um, um, do cultural movements and the best culture, does it come out when the economy's at a high or actually when the economy's at a low people need some form of expression and that's when they make great art and I've read in I mean I'll use the term research very loosely here I've Google searched this topic a lot it seems like throughout history in the last like 400 years that some of the greatest like cultural movements and art is actually created at the worst time in the world because that's like a form of expression for people more so than actually when the economy is great so in the 90s that was a doom and gloom time in Japan our our mutual hairdresser Maso was like telling me all about the Nost- I was telling you Notre Dame Notre Dame oh, yeah, syndrome no- yeah, 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 yeah. now that was in 1999 so pretty late in the 90s but he was just basically saying the 90s in Japan were like a really really dark time that's never in his lifetime he's like 40 he's never experienced such a dark time as like the 90s but yet I think that I think Evangelion is a perfect example actually of that it was a very dark show you know and it was like expressing that fear and anxiety of the economy of the world ending etc so I don't know if that's like the excuse for why 
wait, that stuff's not coming out now? I would actually think the world is at a pretty low place in 2023 as we're recording this. Well, I don't know what it is, I guess. I, I would, in most cases, I would agree with you. But I think that, um, I think that, you know, the phenomenon you're talking about, I don't disagree. And I think in Kansai especially, there was probably a lot more, like, um, depression going on, right? Like, I mean, people were, were uh, probably having a harder time. But I think that, like, in Tokyo, and especially, like, with animation, music, you know, there was a lot of money being pumped. There. You can't deny that there wasn't a lot of money being pumped into those areas. And I think those are the, the people that made money in the bubble. So I think there was a lot of money flying around, but it was... In the 80s or 90s? Even in the early 90s. You know, I'm, I'm sure you and I, I know teachers that were doing the JET program, and they were saying that they would meet up with businessmen after work and do, like, private lessons and make all kinds of side money and all, all that stuff. There, and it wasn't like chump change. It seems like people were making quite a bit. So I think there was a lot of like, I, I guess, you know, we've called it old money around. And maybe it wasn't as concentrated, you know, in places like that were outside of Tokyo. But I mean, I can't imagine it was all doom and gloom for everybody because... Uh, you know, like all the stuff that we were looking at, like, you know, or that we were, we're into from the 90s, where they were pumping tons of money into this stuff. This I wonder if it's just residual money from the 80s, though. Well, definitely. That's right. I, I don't doubt that, but... But, um... And I think some of it had to do with, like... Evangelion was made because that's the only way you could make an animation at the time, right? Yeah. There's a reason why that last episode, you know, was so divisive and used, like, stock footage and stuff like that. Well, I think the last episode is exactly due to money, as we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. That there was, they ran out of money, and thus the whole limitation breeds great art, right? Uh, when you have, we don't have any resources to work with, you have to be, I mean, that's a debatable episode, a lot of people hate it, so maybe it's not great art, but, like, I think it's because of the limitations that that was made. Yeah, yeah. And I don't... I see what you mean, but I don't have like, the I don't have the answer. I'm just asking questions. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know, yeah. I think the starting the starting of that show was because they had a budget to you know on the ability to do it, right? Sure. I don't feel like it was the last ditch episode. I think it just got more expensive over time, and that happens all the time. It doesn't matter what your economy is; people run out of money and can't finish things all the time. Yeah. But. It'll, it will be interesting to see what kind of art comes out of this time. I mean, we're all coming out of COVID. We're all eating kushikatsu again, which is a very social social meal. Communal, yeah. And um, uh, I think that I do think limitations do inspire creativity and do inspire, like, you know, people to come up with creative solutions to big problems. Yeah. And so hopefully uh, before... We were talking about, like, you know, um, inflation's on the rise in Japan. But uh, hopefully, creative minds prevail. And, uh, you know, we could get out of a, this bit of a funk that Japan's in. Yeah. I now, would say, like, things, even though, like, we're talking about art, right? doesn't seem as exciting as the glory days in the 80s or 90s. But, like, I would say it feels very exciting to live here right now in our near nine to ten years, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, our first couple of years are totally biased because we're new to Japan, so of course it was exciting. Even if things are at a low, we would have no way of knowing because we're new here. It's our first experience living here. It was going to be great or exciting. So it's hard to know those first couple of years. And, like, uh, I guess it's 2012, 2013, 2014, right, for us? Mm-hmm. But I would say, objectively, my 10 years here, this is probably the most exciting time, like, post-COVID. For me, a lot of new things have, like, opened up. Maybe it's just, like, uh, capitalism here. But this, I feel like there's just so many, like, new shops, and things are, like, crowded, and there's a lot of people, and people are going out, and I don't know. I don't know if this is a measure of anything, but it feels like an exciting time to be in Japan right now. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think... Anytime you come out of, like, you know, a major... I mean, we've never lived through a pandemic or a war, a major war, you know, at least through where we were were living. You know, some of our our listeners might have been been through more of that. But, um, 
but uh, but yeah, this is a new experience for us, and I imagine it's a very you know all of us are getting back to normal life and, and getting back to the things that we used to love to do, and that's a very different fe- feeling than when we we're you know where we were two years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have been recording a, inside of a, a restaurant like this, you know, for the last few years. And any of our listeners, hardcore listeners, know. Yeah. The um, the lady that works here, the mama-san, is like essentially like Osaka Obochan, extremely ginky. And I, I love the tone of her voice. You guys tell that she's saying some karaoke or done some drink, smoked some cigarettes in her life. Oh, definitely. Which is very uh, indicative of uh, average uh, Osaka older lady. So, um, when we came in here, it's one of the very few times in our time here that I've ever been asked, like, you, you, you can't come in here if you don't speak Japanese. It's very rare, but it does happen. Yeah, so she yeah. asked. But it wasn't, in, um, it was kind of like, uh, we can't help you. So you, if you can't speak Japanese, like, we can't really help you. Are you are you okay with that? I think that's more the tone it took, you know, rather than, like, you can't come here. Yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of restaurants that have, like, menus, and only, they don't have, like, an English translation. So this is definitely one of those places. Also, there's a system where you have to write uh, the amount of the uh, skewers that you want. Yeah, sushi restaurants do this too. Yeah, so yeah. There are certain restaurants here where you get a little piece of paper and you have to kind of like tally up what you want. And if, if that's a, too big of a barrier to entry, then, you know, I think they have some issues with uh, guests coming and not being able to order on those. Luckily, uh, both David and I read enough uh, hiragana and katakana to uh, make do. But um, yeah, there have definitely been some conversations that have gone on where I was just nodding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't exactly know what she was getting at. Well, there's a classic thing that happens here. I mean, if, if you want a technique to kind of blend in, you can just say, like, yes to everything. But um, that can get you in trouble because once you start, like, nodding or saying yes to things at the right time, yeah, then you'll lead people to believe that you speak much more than you do. <laughs> and they'll start asking you these, like, open-ended conversational questions. And you might just keep saying yes. Yes, and you might sign yourself up for something bad, or I've definitely just said yes. I was like trying that maybe a couple of years in, and I was like, oh, this is great, it works. Like, they can't tell, you know, I don't speak Japanese. But then I started like, they'd like bring out food I didn't order, or things things would go wrong. So, yeah, yeah. At a certain point, you know, you know when to bail on that technique. Yeah, there's, there's a certain point where you have to say, listen, I, I don't get it. <laughs> no. Um, feels good to be back though and I think a lot of our listeners are probably coming back to Japan you know or coming to Japan for the first time um you know, tourism's definitely at an all-time high, you know, like, I can't go anywhere without seeing, like, a bunch of tourists around. I mean, yes, it's, it's been spring, and spring is one of the busiest tourist seasons, mm-hmm. but, um, but, man, it feels like the floodgates have opened, open wide. Yeah, we talked about, we don't really have a theme for this episode, if you can't tell already. We just decided we're just going to turn on the mic in a fun environment and talk and see what happens, but we've been brainstorming episodes with you lately, and one of the ones, Matt, talked about was uh, the floodgates have opened on tourism, you know? Yeah. So I guess we'll do maybe a little of that here, but when you said that, I was like, ah, I don't really know if I have felt that myself. Now, you live in Osaka, which is a much more touristy, bigger city. Um, so at the time, you know, I didn't come here that much, but... Um, but yeah, I've had enough times that I'll come out to Osaka and where? I, was some, I was at USJ yesterday, school trip to USJ, um, and yeah, it definitely feels like the floodgates are open, but good old Kobe, you want to go somewhere, it's like a big city still, fairly international feeling. But uh, no tourism there, so I guess yeah. I've come to appreciate some things about Kobe. I've always been hard on Kobe, but uh, one good thing is that yeah, you don't. If you want to feel like a local and stuff, it's a good place to go. Um, I usually shop in Umeda. I live very near Umeda, Osaka, and uh, that's like the main part of town. So if you come to visit, you're probably gonna stop at Umeda Station. Umeda, 
last year at Nam Yeah. And, uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, anyways, Umeda has been out of control. Like, I, I've, I've never seen it so busy. Like, it's probably busier than it was before COVID hit. They keep saying the numbers are only, like, one-third of what they were before the pandemic, but I don't know. You know, I wonder if, like, more people are coming to Kansai. Like, maybe it's just, like, uh, Kyoto and uh, Osaka are just popping off right now. Hmm. You know, maybe people have been to Tokyo, and maybe they want to come to see a different side of Japan. Our friend Chris is in Tokyo for spring break, and he said, that he has never ever seen Tokyo. No, it was like the Sakura time. So maybe it was that. But he said he's never seen Tokyo. Like even just the streets, there was like human traffic jams like in the streets he was saying. In areas he's never seen it before. So yeah, I don't know how they're measuring the numbers, but for most people I talk to on the streets, it feels like I'm gonna use the term worse for us to live here, you know. <laughs> worse than ever that it's this crazy crowd. Listen, David's happy that you guys are coming to visit, you know. That's the whole point of our podcast. I'm happy for you, but yeah. for us, there's not many positives. I guess our favorite places aren't shutting down like they were during the pandemic. But yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's the good news. But I mean, hopefully, this brings some of the money back into our economy. You know, and to be honest. But this is the best time to visit. Like, the yen is, you know, the yen is uh, weak. Very so, weak, yeah. I mean, if, if I was go- coming to visit, like, I mean, I'd go crazy. Like, yeah. you spend a ton of money. I, I was listening to a um, video game uh, podcast where they were talking about they came to do some retro game buying. Yeah. And they were like, the prices are so cheap. And I was like, what? Prices aren't cheap at all. Like, I've, I've been around and the, the prices are the highest it's ever been. But then I forgot, like, you know, the dollar is a lot stronger and, you know, the euro is, is you know, get you a long way. So, you come into Japan, you're going to be loaded. For One is the exchange rate Matt's talking about. But the other one is, is that um, there's been relative inflation here, which is not that much. I was reading it's like 3 or 4%. I don't believe that. I feel like it's higher than that. But for us, we feel more poor than ever, you know, mm-hmm. our, our yen doesn't go as far, it's, things are getting more expensive here, can't buy stuff back home, but <laughs> compared to other countries in the world, there's been crazy inflation, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you're used to that inflation, then your money's going to go further here anyway because exchange rate. So I think for people to go out and have, I think these are $4 beers we're having at a restaurant right now, right, with no tip. Yeah. Um, yeah, to get, you know, I imagine that's really cheap in 2023. Oh, for us, they're four dollars. Uh, it'd be what? It'd be three dollars or two fifty in do- yeah, U.S. dollars. Yeah, probably yeah, somewhere yeah. two two seventy five so, or something so, like yeah, that. Two seventy five for a beer at a restaurant, no tip. A pint of beer, I imagine, is like as cheap as you're gonna get. So, I think Japan is becoming a very cheap place relative uh, but for us to live here it's getting slightly more expensive yeah I mean that's the downer for us right like I mean but like like I said you know the more tourism that comes in you know hopefully that stimulates the economy you know and uh, it still seems like people are going out and buying things you know I mean oh uh I um I was at USJ the other day. It was crazy. Like the amount of Japanese people there. Not I have no way of knowing for sure, right? But I'm gonna guess 20% of the people there were Japanese, and then 80% were non-Japanese. That's it. Yeah. And it felt like I'm not a big roller coaster guy or amusement park guy, but honestly, one of the coolest things about going there, most interesting things, was it felt like I was in a different country. Yeah. Because the amount of other languages you heard or just different customs you know like while people were eating or how you stand in line it felt like a very like culture international cultural experience yeah i i went to usj the during the uh spring break it was near sakura season and um it was outside of still outside of sakura season and uh it was the most packed like i mean i've been once before and i really wanted to go to super nintendo world i got in line for the super mario kart ride it took me about three hours, maybe maybe around three hours. Yesterday was an hour forty-five. Wow, that's I, a lot I thought that was long. But yeah. And then, but I had to like get a ticket to go into Super Mario. World. <laughs> yeah. So by the time I got out of the ride, yeah. like Super Nintendo World was closed. So I had to leave, and it was like one of the that was the whole point of me going. You know, me and my family going. So 
Uh, it was a bit of a bummer, you know. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't the best experience. I thought but that ticket to get in was for the ride. Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. Like, I gotta do this ticket thing, but I'm gonna walk in and go around the ride or whatever. No. And, I mean, we got there crazy early. We got there at 9 a.m. when they opened. So there's still lots of time to see the, see the parking lot. But that section of the park is just, like, four times more busy than any, anywhere else there. I actually thought the rest of the park, we went on a Thursday. Wasn't bad for a amusement park in terms of crowdedness. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, definitely Nintendo World was you're constantly bumping into people or touching people. It was Again, so cool. <laughs> but I didn't cool. get I didn't get to spend any time there. Yeah. It was bigger than I thought. Everyone talks about how small it is. Yeah. I guess all about your expectation. Mm-hmm. So all I had heard is it's so small, it's so small. So for me hearing that going there, oh, it's actually bigger than I thought. But Again, I uh, I didn't ride multiple rides or anything. I kind of just did the Mario Kart, which for me, uh, max I would wait for that in hindsight would be 30 minutes. Yeah. I, it's like playing Mario Kart. It's, it's not a, much it's better. It's a fun ride, but uh, yeah, but it was a lot going on, and I felt like you really need to do it twice to like get the, as much as you could out of there's it. There's like, they show you the high score. I don't know how people get that high of a score. Like, I felt when I'm playing this, I'm like, there's clearly no strategy. There's no game here. It's all just a little joke. No, you gotta casual. drive, man. I, my, my score, I got the highest out of my family. Do you remember your number? Uh, no. 200, 200. 200? Or something like that. Uh, we only got 130. Mm. Um, I have good aim. Yeah, that's why they call me Eagle Eyes. Yeah. In case you don't know, the Mario Kart ride It's basically Mario Kart, but you put on a visor and a Mario hat, and you can see the characters on in your visor, and you're just aiming and shooting at them. But, I mean, Mario Kart's already an extremely casual game. To me, it felt like Mario Kart for extreme beginners. I could see that. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I really liked about the Mario Kart ride was more so the set production before you get into Mario Kart. And oh, all wow. the like, we the had a good couple and, hours yeah. of looking at yeah. that, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. But the, that's t- the tires cool. are cool. Yeah. St- well, the tires are alright. Like that, there's that one section that's kind of boring. But then when you get into where like Bowser's plans are and yeah. stuff like that, I, that whole area and the boos are popping up on the screens and stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I had a lot of time to study it. Do you want that last kushikatsu, man? That's what, that's what all you. I think it's the cheese one, but I ate your uh, bacon one. You eat it, you eat it. Yeah, yeah, it's all you. But um, but yeah, I mean amusement parks. I mean right now it's not the time. It's not the time to go unless you're here. I mean, and they're opening up the Super Nintendo World in the United States, so at uh, Universal Studios. So but people are gonna go. My biggest tip is yeah, do all the reservations in the app. Yeah, and go on a weekday. The other thing would be um, pay for the the extra ticket, the um, the one where you get could get skip a line from Super Nintendo World. That that's what I should have done. Yeah, it's I don't just know expensive. Cost, but if yeah, you have the money to do it, it is yeah. worth it. Yeah, if you have if you're coming all the way to Japan, I think the spending an extra thirty bucks is worth your time. Yeah. yeah. If you have a little kid, there's something you can do where like you can like have your kid ride with other people or something like that. Like if you can't ride with them, you ride know with that strangers. One? No. No, look into it. There's some system where, like, if you can't ride with your kid or you have, like, two kids and they both can't fit, they can cut the line and ride with alone or the other people or something like that. So, yeah. Look I mean, that sadly, the, even the Universal Studios uh, Japan website is not that great. We, we, we historically have been pretty down on websites here in Japan. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the, the information is not, not updated very well. And uh, it's very confusing for... Even, even though they have the English version. It, it, I had a really hard time buying tickets, even here in Japan. Another USJ hack, I'll say, is eat at the Harry Potter. Three oh, six. hands down, hands down. I'm, even if you don't care about Harry Potter, but you just want, like, well, there's no food there that's Japanese, really. So I was going to say, like, oh, I guess you don't want Western food in Japan. But it's all kind of Western food anyway. Um, it's just, like, a big open space. You're going to want to, like, just kind of sit and be alone at some point in the day because it's just so packed and so intense. So yeah, it's like a big open space. You can just kind of get 
room table. If the weather is good, you can sit outside. Yeah, there's a patio yeah, on the back. Patio is really nice. Has a really nice view, and it seats a lot of people. So even if there's like a line, you're gonna get in there really fast. Um, and it feels like a London like like street or, or like yeah, so place. I, like it's good set design. I've been to London. It, yeah, it feels that way. The food, you know, is is close, close. It's not as good, but they have like a Sunday roast. Uh, they got like ribs. And the prices aren't bad. It's no, like, no. Uh, in dollars, U.S. dollars, it's like twenty-five, twenty-four dollars for like a Sunday roast. You're gonna get some roast beef and Yorkshire pudding and stuff. So. Yeah, I spent a good amount of time there just kind of getting away from it all. They had a really cool beer. It wasn't any... Japan, you know, the craft beer is good, but, like, you wouldn't expect to get craft beer at a theme park, I don't think. But it was definitely, like, a, their own beer. Uh, it was, like, an ale that was very different from, like, what you can normally get in Japan. It was quite good. So, anyway, that's our USJ hot take uh, 2023. I think uh, that's where we should end it from our Kushikatsu uh, spot, but we're gonna come back at you with a little more details and a little more, uh, a little more fun. So uh, stay tuned, y'all. Bye bye. We've changed locations. Yeah. We're in a very different location from uh, Kushikatsu Tapes. Yeah. Where are we, Matt? We're in this place called Elevate. It's in a place called Tsukumoto. Uh, it's near Juso, Osaka, and uh, Elevate's a cafe during the day, and then at, in the evening, it's a, um, sometimes a venue. And then they also do an open turntable night where anybody could come and bring like their records and uh, yeah, DJ. So you know, this is one of the places. Tablist. Yeah, yeah. I brought some records today. I did forget my headphones though. I feel oh. like I, I feel like a little bit of a tool for that. I think the first time I came here, you did it without headphones too. Yeah, and I think I did a pretty good job. I think I only job. I skipped the record once. Yeah, you're but, a fan, fan favorite night, so hopefully <laughs> you can repeat that success. I don't know. I brought a lot more braces stuff, and judging by the clientele here so far, like <laughs> I, the 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 psych rock guy. That has been here before. Um, yeah, I don't know if he'll be so. You never know what people are into. I think when people look at us, they want to guess we're into the stuff that we're into, right? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to say. Anyway, yeah, this is a super cool diamond in the rough kind of place. This is like not in the coolest neighborhood or anything, but it's a super cool place that could hang in the cool neighborhoods, you know? Yeah, the way I, I, I call it is like uh, this neighborhood itself is very much the. Um, like a um, greasy food spot, mm, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of like street food here, a lot of izakayas, a lot of like ramen places. And, uh, and then there's uh, this place, which is like this really cool venue that has a very industrial kind of look to it. Some, uh, a lot of like uh, antique furniture, you know, some leather chairs and stuff. It's just like a, it's a good spot, good music too. Like there's a lot, of, the guy that works here is really friendly. It's always got like a good good music taste. So there's a lot of places like this in Japan, but they're not easy to find. And um, I think when you're looking around, yeah, it, it can be yeah. Once you find one, then they usually like business cards that alert other ones. And our friend Akira told you about this. Yeah, yeah. Right? He just mentioned it, and I uh, I took his word. He was like, "Oh yeah, it's near your neighborhood. You should just walk over there and like you know." Check it out. The funny thing is, though, when he told the owner, he had no idea who our friend Akira was who recommended this. I think he kind of like made up, oh, yeah, maybe I might know that guy, but it was one of those things where it kind of seemed like he didn't know him, right? It did seem like a couple of the guys around did know of the cafe. Of the cafe. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was cool that they were able to um, make a bit of a connection there. But, you know, music brings people together, as they say. Yeah, tonight's your third time here? Yeah, third time. Was the second time popping off like the first time? Too, oh, or? yeah, yeah. Okay. Quite a few people in here. So maybe right now, we're the only, there's only one other person here besides us. And... It really started with my, our crowd. So I invited some people, uh, some co-workers to come out. And uh, more co-workers came out than I thought. You know, yeah. like, you know, we had ended up having about uh, eight people in our in our group, which is, you know, I think is pretty big for not, not advertising something so much, you know. Yeah. And, uh, 
and it was cool yeah it was a really cool night a lot of variety in the music and that's what i like about these open turntable nights is like you get people playing whatever they're into at the time you know yeah and it could be different i'm gonna get this wrong but i know you're gonna get it right so yeah. i'm gonna say it chameleon lime whoopie pie yes that's chameleon correct. lime whoopie pie you got it new album out huh new album out called orange Yes, not? yes. Have you listened to it? I haven't. Because it's not on Spotify. It is on Spotify. Orange is on Spotify? I don't think so it I is. I didn't know it's coming out. It sounds like you're more in the know than me. Yeah. I just turned on my Spotify today. One of the cool things Spotify does is like it knows the music you listen to. Yeah. It'd be like, hey, this album just came out. Oh, no way. You're going to like. And um, so, I see this one down there. So yeah. It, it pushed Orange on me. And then I listened to it on the way here. And my first take is... Not as good as the previous album. It's good. It's a little more tame. You're talking about. It looks like it has some of the same songs though. It, it has it, Crush Style. It, it it's does. got La La La. It yeah, does. it does. It does. So it's like so, taking some of the songs from the EP. Right. Yeah. But the new ones on there are more like tame. So like kind of chill. I was in the right situation, right? I was coming out to Osaka to see you. I wanted to get like hyped up and get some like. Uh, yeah, because we're gonna go see her. We're hopefully go see her soon. Yeah. Right, right, right. But it was more. Uh, I want to throw this on in the background and study or like do the dishes or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was more chill. So it was not bad per se, but there were no like wild songs on there, which I was hoping for a little bit more of that. The wild style, yeah. Um, hopefully. Yeah, I don't know. Um, hopefully, more of her music comes out, like on vinyl and stuff. Because I did pick up the, I did pick her, put her um, EP mm. on uh, vinyl, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a great listen. I, I mean, I honestly listen to that thing all all the time, mm, and uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. Uh, there's another on Spotify. She has another album that's not actually under albums. Oh, it's just like you know, it's kind of like um, lost, and that's a lot more mellow too. You know what it's called? I it's think it's right called like Liar, maybe, is the name of it, or that might be the single from it. But um, yeah, it's got a cool cover. It looks like they're on the moon or something. Hmm. That one. So um, play with me. Yeah. So one of these is the album. It's either Play with Me or Normal Luck. Yeah. I guess it's like an EP. Okay. But um, but you know, it's quite a few songs. So yeah that's also worth listening to it is also more mellow than the, the stuff that we really like from her right, right, right. but um even her r&b i like i kind of like her voice and stuff like i mean she's i kind of enjoy like the production and the voice and yeah, stuff so of course so uh it was like one of those ones that was good it was just like didn't wow me straight away it's mm-hmm. gonna take some some listens you know to get in there some repeat listens yeah that's right that's right the crew is coming like that. It's, it's all, a lot of the same faces all the time, which right. is cool. This yeah. is the guy here. Now I feel bad because we just don't. Because so, he wanted us to play. I think he wrote. He wrote me. Uh, am I today? Tonight I might try to with mend the relationship. Story. Last time we were here, this guy owns another bar and invited us. To, I think his girlfriend does. Okay, that was the idea. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, he runs a night like a monthly night, which is you know since we're on the podcast, I guess I should explain. Going to see music in Japan. Um, isn't always about the venue. So every other country I've lived in before, the venue determines the mood. So if you're gonna go to um, Stubbs in Austin, by the way, you're gonna get like indie rock, or, like hardcore. It's a rock joint, you know. Yeah, yeah. So every night of the week, they're gonna have music, and it's gonna be rock music and in- indie rock, right? Not indie, but like kind of underground, you know, smaller artists. Yeah. You go to emos, you see even smaller groups, maybe more on the, as the name implies, emo or hardcore side of music. But in Japan, you can have a venue, one night doing hip hop, one night doing reggae, one night doing rock. Right. It depends on, they throw these nights, you know, every Thursdays, you know, in the night of the genre of the music. Yeah, it's like a promoter runs like a particular night. It's like they're renting the space. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's very, very different. That venue does not matter at all. It's more what night's being put on by the promoter. Um, yeah, anyway, this guy seemed to be one of those. He ran a monthly night or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was doing a party like on a really bad time for us. Like, we, it was like. Bad time and short notice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, I think he wrote me on Instagram. But I didn't recognize him, so like I had the, all these messages that were in Japanese, and I thought like, oh, this is a really weird thing, and I, I might have like blocked him or muted uh, him or something. Okay. And so I feel kind of bad now that it could have been his girlfriend like reaching out or something. Yeah. But I, like I didn't recognize them, you know. So, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll have to ask him and see if he, he, he reached out. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I felt kind of bad about that <laughs> after I did it. Like, you know, a day later I was like, oh, it might have been this guy. Okay. You know, so, yeah, that's what happens from time to time, you know. Yeah, I wanted some miscommunication. Ill communication. Ill communication. I want to do a quick follow-up to our uh, previous podcast on Spice Curry. Yeah, yeah. Mike, Chicago Mike, reached out to me and did say it was five, five curries in one day. So we were debating between three and five. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sent the record straight. One of our listeners did uh, Coco Curry five times in a day, <laughs> which is pretty incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. Yeah. And then um, you must have been hungry, all the I, walking around. That's right. <laughs> I went back to A Spice Beats. I think shortly after we recorded, brought our uh, friend of the show, Albert, there. Yeah, yeah. And Albert speaks a little. You know, some Japanese, so it was kind of cool to go there with a person that could like translate because I go there all the time. And this guy tries to talk a lot, and I can't really communicate with them. Yeah, and then it was uh, Guzen, which is uh, by chance in Japanese, that this other guy um, uh, that speaks English and is sometime living out in LA um, was there as well. That I told Albert about him because Albert used to work for JL Japan Airlines, right? Right. And then, Anyway, so they're both there together. I told both of them about the other person. And then they like were hitting it off. And then Albert was hitting it off with the owner too. Because Albert was running a really obscure skate brand from like the 80s called Al- Alva Skate. And the guy knew Alva so well, the owner. And he had skated with Alva's crew in LA. Like one summer he went to LA. Yeah, and yeah. And skated with their crew. Yeah, he, he was telling me about that. Oh, yeah. He, no, yeah, okay. Yeah. On the Venice Beach. And then uh, he thought Albert maybe was part of their crew. You know, he looked about the right age perhaps. Yeah. He's like, are you like an Alva? Alva's crew, you know, and Alva's like, no, I'm just a fan, you know. And Alva said he's been wearing that shirt for 20 years in Japan. No one's Nobody's ever, ever known it. it. Yeah, like he walked in this place. So I kind of felt maybe it's egocentric of me to say this, but I kind of felt like I was like orchestrating like this one guy I talked to in the curry shop before. I brought my friend and the owner. Like the three of them were just like hitting it off like crazy, you know. And I was kind of like. Oh man, yeah. Like my master plan works, you know, I wanted to bring this person here. But it, it couldn't. The guy, um, the other patron I met who was there, he lives in um, Okayama, which is like three hours from here. Yeah, yeah. He just comes on whenever he has a holiday. So, oh, like, okay. it's so rare that this all happened at the same time. It was Golden Week, so that's why he was around. Oh, okay. His, yeah, his parents yeah. live yeah. near here. So, whenever he's visiting his parents, he eats there because he loves it too. Oh, yeah. Well, good food. And, for sure. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, I had this like cool, magical moment at Ace by Speeds, and it just kind of like cemented my love for that place, you know, that to see all these people like hitting it off and like just chatting together and like half Japanese, half English. And it was kind of a cool moment that they, they knew people back from like the 80s, like in California, like the same people. And, it's such a small world, you know? I mean, going back to, like, kind of, like, the, the a- after COVID, like, everything's opening up and everything's coming back to, like, it was. I mean, we met a guy that was, like, a translator for, like, some video games that we really oh, knew. We and that was sure just, like, story, a, yeah. it was just, like, a really happenstance kind of thing. But the, the funny thing about living in Japan is that, like, like you were saying about the Alva shirt, some of those things are very niche yeah. and, you know, very subculture-y. And there's... If you're out and about, there's a, a chance that you might meet somebody that's mm. kind of like you could make those connections with right. people. You know, with music, it's the same way too. Like you that's know, right. like I said, I I came back to this place. Um, I was telling off, off mic, you know, David, that I came back to elevate the the cafe um, during the Golden Week break, mm. and it was very quiet. And the guy was putting on records that were like he definitely remembered what I had been spinning. You know, the last couple of times I was in here. And they were all related to like stuff I was doing. Yeah, it was like Pete Rock and uh, Scott Arapar and like stuff like that. And you know, you can make those connections here very easily. And I think there's a culture of like that subculture culture kind of tying in with what our goal of our podcast is, right? Um, That if you get into these places where people are specialists or they are do specialize in music or art or skateboarding or curry or whatever. You know, it's one of those things that I, I just can't take for granted. And, you know, I, I hope I could stay in Japan for another 10 years. I mean, that's my that's my dream. I hope so, too. Um, you know, some factors might be, you know, might change that in the future. But um, but so but it's given me a new appreciation of that, you know, that love of like that niche culture that like some people do have and they hold on to, you know. I think it's the thing, honestly, like sometimes on our podcast, I think about like, oh man, are there people now who've done 
look, when we started this podcast, YouTube was just starting to take off, right? Yeah, yeah. It was podcasts were starting to take off. Yeah, probably. that's yeah. that's true. That's true, actually. Well, um, I guess when we started the Korean one, yeah, there's no true crime podcast. No, I wouldn't say even the Japanese one. At that time, there's no such thing as a true crime podcast. Serial, serial. I, in my opinion, I was just having this talk the other day. You know, serial. Yeah, yeah, podcast. of course. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the podcast that brought it to a different level. Like you had this American Life, you know, people listen to or the Daily and the New York Times, but it was really serial. I think that like brought it to the mainstream, and now it's exploded since then. But um, we were podcasting before Serial and in Japan. Yeah. Anyway, I think there are people out there that kind of do some of the things that we had started. And we were, I think, original at that time and doing it. But there are people now with higher production values and stuff that started off doing mainstreamy stuff. But they've been doing it for 10 years. They've kind of ran out of that. And they have gone on to the obscure more. And I do think they do a great job. But um, one of the things I think that we cover that I still have never heard anyone else do is that, yeah, the Japan... One of the secrets of Japan, the coolest parts of Japan, is the niche culture and the people's obsession over their niche things here. Yeah. Almost every person has their one. I always go back to our friend Akita, you know, and like uh, <laughs> Mr. Bellbottom, as he was better known when I met him, you know, and he's just a regular salary man, dude. But on the weekends, he dressed up in his, his flares and his kind of hippie uh, clothing and do his music thing, you know, and that was his niche thing. And I bet if there was some. A Brazilian band he was into and he heard some else of that that would have like just make, make his week you know that he met someone about that to know about that and I don't know I guess you could people are people right but I don't know all my time in the US or my time in Korea it didn't really happen that often where I, at least my obscure interests and hobbies didn't collide enough I, again part of the reason Matt was like such a great friend for me straight away was I lived 25 years and never even talk about something that we're solid with anymore. <laughs> Some things now that seem so played out and everyone knows about, but at that time, yeah, they were still obscure. Or, yeah, Jet Set Radio, certain games, and some real nerd culture stuff. Um, you were from L.A., a bigger city, but for me, you were the first living human being I could talk about with so many things, you know? But even, like, me, well, because, you know, like, my adolescence was spent in L.A., mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of that stuff trickled in. And then when I moved to the California desert, I didn't have anybody, you know. Like, finally, I found a friend that was into anime and video games that I kind of liked and uh, pop culture and comics and stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of that culture there, you know. Like, people were happy with, you know, just the, the, the small-town life, you yeah. know. And um, so it is really, it was really hard to meet people, at least back home, you know, if, if you're in L.A. and you have money and you could go to shows and stuff, you know, that's like one thing. But if you're into this stuff, all you had was like Hollywood video blockbuster, you know, like and movies that's, that's to watch, it. right? What the and, chances you're going to bump into someone there in the same aisle, you know? Yeah, very rarely. That was your best chance. Yeah, yeah, it was probably your best chance. Or Suncoast movies or the comic book shop or something. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, it's cool to see that people have that appreciation of like these niche things. And it doesn't have to be pop culture. It could be like just cooking or music or, you know, like An actor that you fanboy or fangirl yeah, over. An instrument, uh, you Boy, know. Voice actresses, even voice actors. But you told me once, I can't remember what the exact context was, but you're the one that kind of made me really realize this something about clothes and fashion and I said something like even though it's Japanese it's pretty easy to meet people here I think you said something well like sometimes you just get people walking up to you and talking about what you're wearing you know and that's like you're in yeah I never really thought about that before but I don't think it has to be like a fashion fashion like a capital F fashion thing like that is it for me but if you're just a regular dude who care less about fashion but you're wearing a shirt with major force record label on it right like you are I think what you wear here, what you have is a bit of a, and that's kind of why I think Japanese people are so into like how they look mm-hmm. relative to some other cultures, you know? Because it's a is, bit of a te- tell. Is it's a bit of a, you don't have to talk, you don't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like instantly you can know, hey, it's safe for me to go up to that person and I can say, what, you know, major force, are you shop here? Or are you are a fan of this Korean idol, you know, because you got the little pin on your badge and like, yeah, you don't know anyone in your real life, in your job, in your school who does that, but you see someone with that, and it's like an instant in. And for us, not speaking the language, it's worked for us so many times, whether it's music or clothes for me or video games or whatever it is, that you just get people coming up to you and they can't believe 
you're a fan of this thing and I feel the same way like I love spice curry right and like no one else around me knows what that is even a subgenre <laughs> like food yeah but yeah. um once you start to meet the sub, uh, spice curry people it's like you got all this this and this in common and it's like I meet 100 people and I can't talk to them on this level but because we have this food thing in common then we're like like-minded people and we have everything else in common too you know so like it was a real kind of magic uh in japan moment of again yeah without language we could bond and have these deep feelings and conversations and it's that it's one of the best parts of being alive and being human i think yeah yeah i agree um it's good to find your like your lane you know mm-hmm. like i guess that's why we've been so comfortable here is because you know we do have that here you know i think I, I get it when like you know i talk with a coworker or you know sometimes our significant others in some cases you know like where they don't feel as connected to like you know these types of things but i think when you grow up and you don't have like access to people that are like-minded or you know if i went back to the states you know i'm not going to find you know i'm not going to be able to do the, do the open turntable night you know with all japanese records and stuff it's not going to it's not going to happen right and uh, unless I try to start something, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll go. I'll go. Ni. Ni ban. Ni no one wants to go. <laughs> I always choose second, by the way. Yeah, I, I like Not with DJing, but like if I have to give a speech or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. I always want to go second. He's a brave soul up there. Yeah, it's probably a good place to end it because the DJs are going to start. It's probably rude to talk and it'll be loud, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we definitely want to listen to the music, but um, yeah, maybe we'll record a little bit of the music for you guys tonight to yeah, give yeah. you a little bit of a taste. Yeah. Anyway, if you like this podcast, let us know. I think if, if people like this one and they give us good response, it'd be easier for Matt and I to put out regular podcasts because we're kind of at the point where we put out what, 100 and 60, 70 episodes and there's not much we could do with good quality but we've been doing it before cereal that's right before <laughs> cereal but if you like this this is just us in our lives and how we hang out and we talk yeah uh, this would be fun and easy for us to do and stress free which honestly when Matt and I hang out now at this point we're just looking for stress free times sometimes put on a podcast you know it takes a little bit of work but yeah sure sure if you like this just chatting and talking then this is easy so you let us know if you if you like this style, then uh, we can do some these more regular over summer, probably, right? Yeah, I hope I hope so. I, when we're trying to get back, I mean, I, I I invited David to come do it, and I know I'm the one that's been like putting the brakes on the podcast a little bit. So, um, you know, I'm trying to get it get it going again, and you know, life's getting back to normal. Like I said, you know, things are things are finally looking up. And, we're on uh, summer break soon. We are on summer break, and we're here uh, listening to some music. I'm going to Korea soon, so I'd like to report on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. And I'm doing Fuji Rock for the second time, and last time it was like six years ago. I just wish they had like one person that pushed me over on that one. Like, I I keep looking at it, hoping that like one more person gets added to the the list that I really want to go see. I I told Emily if they put Prophets of Rage, I'll go for sure. (laughs) Prophets of Rage, I really want to see. There's a group called Fever333. Which is a horrible name. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty much Rage Against the Machine ripoffs. Oh, okay. I like, I love Rage Against the Machine. There yeah, is yeah, no Rage Against the Machine. So yeah. it's enough for me to be a ripoff in 2023 and still like them. Yeah. So. Well, I love Chuck B. I love Cypress Hill. You know, I love yeah. like Flavor Flav and, you know, I love Rage Against the Machine. Prophets of Rage, I'd really like to go see. Yeah. Now that the Beastie Boys will, you know, are, are done, you know, that that's the, the group that that's I'd really want to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Origins Machine did reunion tour, so. I would have loved to have seen them, but I think all their shows sell, sold out, like, almost immediately. And then very similar to your show getting canceled with them, Zach broke his foot or his leg. I mean, Mike D did, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he broke his foot or his leg, but he still performs. So oh, he's, yeah, he's yeah. He's a champ. 
Well, I mean, maybe he doesn't play the drums like Mike D would, or yeah, I don't know. Right. I and mean, it sounds like Mike D's injury was pretty bad, you know. Yeah. I, I don't blame you, the Beastie Boys. Still love you. <laughs> yeah. I'm sad I never got to see you live, but you know. He's great. Till next time, guys. See ya. Peace.